that's what this top two primary system does to change the way people campaign. Welcome back to the Facts About PACs. I'm Michaela Isler, NAPAC's Executive Director, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Adam Belmar. Oh, it's a short week, Michaela. I drove across downtown Washington, D.C. yesterday, basking in the glow and warmth of sunshine and no traffic. Oh my gosh, no traffic. Such a gift in this winter recess. But, you know, the corridors of power in Washington may go quiet for the moment, but the march on the campaign trail is really gaining energy, Adam, and I know you know that, but the 2024 primaries are definitely upon us. And today we're giving you the very latest on the U.S. Senate primaries, packing the most punch. Absolutely. Coming up in just a minute, the Ellis Insight into the U.S. Senate races in California, Ohio, Maryland, New Jersey, and Utah with none other than Jim Ellis. The Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap this week's NAPA activities, share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community. Thanks so much, Adam. And, you know, before we hit the campaign trail with our dear friend, Jim Ellis, let's get everyone up to speed on, you know, some of our NAP activities. Well, this first one, this is the big one upcoming, Michaela. And to me, as a guy who likes to go car shopping, it's <laughs> how do you get the best out of your membership at NABPAC, right? It's a let's talk. And to me, it's like, did you even know your car could do that? Did you even know that you had these great features? Because Lauren Newhouse is going to take us through all the things you didn't even know you got or had by being part of NABPAC. Oh, I love that analogy. It's so true. Sometimes I feel like there's almost so much that we have to offer that you almost don't know which way to turn. So we're going to kind of break it down for our members. And I, and I looks like we have a great turnout, but I also want to say we had a great lunch last week with our friend Carol Laham, who kind of walked through the rules and regulations around convention activities. And so I know there's a lot of buzz and discussions around who's doing which conventions and which cities they're going to be in. So, um, just wanted to note that we're going to have a recap of that, uh, in our upcoming resource email as well. Cause I know there were a few folks that couldn't attend that. Well, joining us now from sunny Las Vegas, Nevada, is the one and only Jim Ellis. Welcome back to the Facts About Packs, Jim. Well, thank you so much, Adam and Michaela. Uh, yesterday, it wasn't so sunny here in Las Vegas, but it is today. <laughs> well, we're just so glad to have you on the show, Jim. Thanks for joining us from so far away and with the time chains and everything. I want to sort of just get right out of the gate here. And, and the first of the Senate primaries with punches coming up fast on March 5th, Jim. Tell us about California. Yes, the California race is a bit unusual because they have this top two primary system. And so it's a jungle primary, meaning everybody's on the same ballot. And the top two, regardless of party affiliation and regardless of percentage attained, will advance into the general election. And it's every poll has had Congressman Adam Schiff in first place for uh, the whole campaign. And so he's pretty much a lock to advance into the general election. So the real battle is for second place. And it's getting really interesting because Emerson College just came out with a poll here this week. And it has Steve Garvey, the former baseball player, who's a Republican, in second place by about six points over Congresswoman Katie Porter. So the interesting thing is this race now is featuring the Democratic candidates, the two leading ones, Congressman Schiff, 
Congresswoman Katie Porter, actually advertising about the Republicans. Uh, Schiff is running ads talking about Steve Garvey being too conservative for California. And, and, and the reason he's doing that now is to try to drive Republican votes toward Garvey because he wants a Republican in that general election. Because he's a cinch, if that's the case. He doesn't want to have to run a double Democratic general election against Porter. So now Porter is is uh, coming back with ads to support another Republican and to try to take Republican votes away from Garvey. So it's really an interesting race. And that's what this top two primary system does to change really the way people campaign. So now they're actually campaigning to help some of their opponents <laughs> in order to set themselves up in better position for the general election, because Porter right now is in danger of losing out totally to Garvey, and then she'll be eliminated, as is Congresswoman Barbara Lee. And so that's why she's making a last-ditch effort to try to take some Republican votes away from Garvey. That is why they're calling them primaries with punch. This is a deeper beyond the headlines crystallization of what politics in campaigns across, among, around parties can look like. And if you're a pack manager watching this from afar, wow, you really want to know more like Jim Ellis has given us to better understand what's at play and why we're seeing all of this go on there. Yeah, and there's been a lot of publicity, too, around the fact that each one of these candidates have taken the no corporate PAC pledge. So, you know, from our perspective, unfortunate that millions of those California employees out there are unable to engage through their employee funded PACs. It'll be interesting to see how much money they all raise in the end, though. Yes, it's already been a lot. Uh, Schiff in particular has raised a lot and Porter has always been a huge fundraiser. And, you know, but they don't want private sector employee money, obviously. Yeah, they've walked away from that and uh, they're going to have to reckon with those constituents who are not going to be very happy that their voice doesn't seem to count very much. But I'll tell you this, right after California, we're looking March 19th, Ohio Republicans is the story. Talk to us about what's going on in this race out there. Yes, this one will be decided on March the 19th and it is um, a three-way race on the Republican side and it's very close. And all three candidates seem to be good. It's the Secretary of State there, Frank LaRose. He's the only one that's won statewide. State Senator Matt Dolan, who is from the Cleveland area. And in fact, he is a minority owner of the Cleveland Guardians baseball team. So he and the, all these guys are very well funded themselves. And the third, who Donald Trump and Senator J.D. Vance have endorsed, is uh, the businessman Bernie Marino. And it's a three-way, very tight race uh, among uh, – and I think any one of the three could win that. And I think any one will be a strong competitor to Senator Sherrod Brown. So with Brown running in Ohio, you know, these Senate terms are so long with six years. The last time Sherrod Brown was on the ballot was 2018. And what happened in 2018? Well, that was a really good Democratic wave year, and he was able to get back in, even though Republican uh, Ohio rather is trending much more Republican. And then the previous time he was on the ballot was 2012. Well, what was happening in 2012? That was Barack Obama running for reelection in a state that Obama carried. This time, Sherrod Brown does not have that advantage. He's going to have the political wins in his face for the first time. And in a state that Donald Trump has carried twice by nine percentage points and is likely to do so again. I don't think the Biden campaign is going to spend much at all there. And uh, so Sherrod Brown has a very difficult 
political uh, spectrum to cover this time and something he really hasn't faced before. So uh, I think the Republicans will have a pretty good chance in this race, regardless of who wins their primary. Well, I'm, I'm really excited about watching that, but I'm also just want to jump into Maryland in our backyard with, yes, you yes. know, the recent announcement of former Governor Larry Hogan jumping, in, jumping into the race to this, for the Senate. Well, that was certainly a surprise that he changed his mind and started to and decided to run. I mean, he's got some favorable polling data, which obviously helped influence that. Uh, so this puts a state that was before out of reach for the Republicans and now makes it competitive. And uh, so not only is the Democratic primary, which will be decided on May 14th, very competitive between uh, Congressman David Trone. He's the founder of the Total Beverage Operation. And so he's close to a billionaire. And he has already spent $23 million in this campaign of his own money. And the, um, his opponent is Angela Also Brooks, who is the, chief, uh, the uh, county executive of Prince George's County. And so she's a formidable candidate. And, and even though Trone has so much more money and resources and, and has been advertising for a whole year, I don't think that race is necessarily over. And then the winner will then have to go into a battle with Larry Hogan, who at, at the beginning here is doing extremely well. So paint us a picture as we just go one step deeper here. Balance of power in the United States Senate. Yes. You said that this was unexpected. Unexpected because the Democrats really figured this was not a place they needed to spend money. And yet, wow, hyper competitive. But with many voices leaving the Senate, a Larry Hogan voice there might be a powerful one. Yes, it certainly gives the Republicans a chance. And you're right. It now makes that a competitive situation. Although if Trone wins, the party won't have to spend too much because they will expect him to fund the whole thing. So uh, it is probably it's going to cost Trone a lot more money. <laughs> but um, if Angela also Brooks wins the Democratic primary, then they then the party will have to come in with a lot. And that all of a sudden becomes an interesting competitive race and adds a new one to the board, which the Republicans need. So right now it's 51 Democrats and 49 Republicans in the Senate. From electoral terms, it's really 50-50 because without Joe Manchin running in West Virginia, it's a virtual lock that the Republicans will win that. And so let's figure it's 50-50. But this cycle, since the map favors the Republicans, the Democrats have to protect 23 of the 34 uh, states that are up for election in this cycle. And the Republicans really don't have a vulnerability. I mean, Ted Cruz, uh, there's talk of that. And we're going to see close polls in Texas, but he's going to win by more than five points at the end. And that's the most vulnerable situation the Republicans have, which is a big advantage for them because they can put their lesser resources into these competitive races. So it's uh, they really need to maximize this map. Getting to 51 is not going to be enough for them to sustain. They're going to need to be at 53 or 54. And now Maryland being in play maybe helps them do that. Well, not that New Jersey is going <laughs> to help with that, no. <laughs> most likely, but just want to chat with you about the June 4th primary in New Jersey and where Senator Robert Menendez may be. It sounds like he still hasn't decided to run. The filing deadline there is March the 25th, and um, my guess is he's going to try to use that as a bargaining chip on a plea bargain with these indictments he's under. At this point, there doesn't look like there's any way he could win that Democratic primary. I mean, he is polling in single digits in every poll. And uh, Congressman Andy Kim is out in front. And then the first lady of the state, Governor Phil Murphy's wife, Tammy Murphy, is also in that race. And so um, Menendez is far, far behind. My guess is he does not file. 
particularly if he can use that as a bargaining chip on these indictments that he faces, which are obviously very serious. Bottom line there is we will see a new senator coming from New Jersey, but it won't be a Republican. Well, let's carry on on that theme, Jim. Utah Republicans have a lot of choices in replacing retiring Senator Mitt Romney. Tell us what's going on out there in that primary. Yes, you've got several candidates running there. The first step is the nominating convention in uh, April. And so the way Utah works is the candidate's can go to the convention, and if they get 40% or more of the delegate vote, they're automatically in the primary. And so obviously with 40%, there's only two that could come out of the convention. If you don't go to the convention or you don't make it, then you have a uh, petition option, and you need 28,000 signatures then to qualify for the for the ballot. So you have Orrin Hatch's son, Brent Orrin Hatch, running. Remember, Orrin Hatch was the 42-year senator from Utah. And obviously, he has very high name ID. And people are laughing that uh, he is now using his middle name everywhere, Brent Orrin Hatch. And uh, then uh, the um, congressman from the southeastern part of the state, John Curtis, who was the former mayor of Provo, he is in the race as well. And the former state house speaker is also a candidate. So it's going to be one of those three in the end. At least two of those will be in the primary election. And I think that's going to decide the seat. Well, there you have it. The Ellis Insight with Jim Ellis. Jim, thanks for being back with us on the Facts About Packs podcast. Well, Michaela and Adam, it's always my pleasure, and I'm happy to come back anytime. Thanks for having me. We look forward to that, and thanks to everyone downloading and sharing this podcast. Subscribe and meet us right back here next week. Mm-hmm.